Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's a beautiful day to take a trip to the Northwest. And I'd say the Pacific Northwest, except that's the team in the division we're breaking down today that doesn't have a number on the board yet. Gee, wonder why. Hmm. One of life's great mysteries, I suppose. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's Fantasy NBA Today, as we continue to sojourn into the land of season win totals. By the way, uh, the Jazz signed Omer Yurtseven yesterday. That was a uh, actual free agent move that had no bearing on anything at all. And so I just didn't even talk about it. But it happened, and I felt like, in an effort for completionist sake here on the show, I wanted to try to mention every single thing that happened since free agency started. So that was the thing that happened. We, um, we're working our way through the teams. Today, it's the Northwest Division. And once again, I find myself going against the grain in quite a few spots. Ah, well. Guess we might as well just dive in. Start at the top of the board. Oh, by the way, I'm Dan Vespers. I probably should have told you that. At Dan Vespers on Twitter and threads, although Twitter does continue to mostly function right now, so we'll hang in there. It remains the fastest way to get your news. News feed on Twitter remains superior. It could break and fix itself another 35 times before we actually need it on a moment-to-moment basis around the start of the NBA season, but for this exact moment, it's hanging in there. Okay, now let's start at the top of the board. Denver Nuggets, biggest total in the books at 54.5. That is a huge number. Denver won 53 games this last year and won the title. You guys already know where I'm going with this one. This is a flat bet. I almost always flat bet the world champions to go under. It's imperfect. Doesn't work every single time. But the championship hangover is so very real. And, you know, we've talked about why in the past also. It's a mental thing as much as it is physical. So it's kind of that combination that does the trick. On the mental side... And I forget which team did we talk about yesterday's show in relation to this. I think we were, uh, I think it was the Suns or the Warriors on the previous one. I can't remember exactly. Um, doesn't matter. Let's just forge ahead. On the mental side, there's an issue of just caring whether or caring about the regular season the same way. The games in the regular season don't feel as impactful as games in the playoffs. So when you run deep, deep, deep into the playoffs and you win the title and you have these games that mean everything, they mean the universe, and then you got to try to fire it back up again and care about every regular season game, it's just, it's impossible. You can get close, but you're not getting all the way there. And then, as you pivot 
over towards the physical side, the physical toll that running into mid-June does, these, these games that mean everything and the minutes per game count and guys playing through injury in the playoffs because the games are so damn important, that's another factor. You're talking about an abridged offseason for those folks. They're going mid-June to training camp, which is July, August, like end of September, beginning of October. You're talking about three months And I know a lot of folks are going to be like, ah, Nikola Jokic, she doesn't expend all that much energy out there. That's just the way it looks. I promise you he is expending a lot of energy. He's involved in every single thing that happens, every play with that Nuggets team. And then on top of everything else, somehow this past year, the Nuggets got about the maximum number of games they were going to get out of Jamal Murray, who played 65 coming back from a catastrophic injury. And Michael Porter Jr. missed a handful of additional games but Jokic at 69, that's not, a, that's not a number that's going to go up the year after title run. KCP at 76, I mean, maybe he keeps that going. It's not that the health was perfect this last year. They gave their guys some rest days here and there. So that's not, I mean, I, I don't think that's one of the bigger factors looking towards next season. I do think the loss of Bruce Brown is notable. He was the energy guy. He was kind of a, the bench glue guy. He was the guy that filled in anytime anyone needed a day off. But more than anything, this is a club coming off a title. They now have a target on their backs. They've been talking a lot of trash. Uh, like, a lot, a lot for a team that won the title. There's been, like, an equal amount of celebration and resentment coming out of Denver circles that the celebration is obviously they won the title, which is awesome. The resentment is like, oh, why didn't we get more media coverage? You got plenty of damn media coverage. You won the title. But we've talked about this before. Denver is not a media-moving city, so everything gets put kind of through the lens of a big market thing. That's how ESPN operates. You get all of your NBA news from ESPN, you're doing it wrong. But it's billboard. It's, it's a locker room fodder, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, the Nuggets have now made locker room fodder for everybody else by talking about how somehow they're maligned or underdogs. That you're never the underdog, man. You were the favorite in every series you were in this playoffs. I think everybody's a little bit irked by this. So the Nuggets are going to have a target on their back for the first time ever. They are coming off a short off season. They have to try to roll back into a regular season that's going to they're going to convince themselves it matters. And then we saw this year how an unfocused Nuggets team had a long stretch, like a month and change long stretch in the middle of this last season, where they played like the regular season didn't matter all that much. You're going to see that again this coming year. And getting to 55 wins, which is what they'll need to get to to hit this number, when you're not laser-focused basically from day one, it's damn near impossible. That's so many wins for a team coming off a title. I like the under, and I like it a decent amount, actually. I don't know why uh, the teams are set up the way they are on the paper I'm working off here, but folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize... You're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. 
Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. We're going to go to Minnesota next. Um, I don't think, are they the second highest total in this division? Uh, tied with Oklahoma City, actually. So, you know, whatever. Minnesota's number is down to 43 and a half this year, which is... Um, Probably a more accurate number than what got thrown up last season. And, and frankly, I got bum- bamboozled last year. I went over because it seemed like the Wolves were a team on the fix. Meaning, they finished... I gotta get my years right. They they In the post-All-Star break run of 2022, they looked like a team on the way up. Anthony Edwards had made a giant flying leap forward. Chemistry was good. And then they traded for Rudy Gobert. And they basically blew up the whole team to do it. And in my infinite not knowledge, I thought, surely they'll find a way to work this out. Like, this, was, this had to be a well-thought-out thing that happened. And once again, this was a situation where I probably gave too much credit to a front office that maybe made a move with the hope that it would work out and not the knowledge that it would work out. Because, ultimately, I don't feel like it worked out. So it's weird that I'm going back to the well with Minnesota, and I once again like the over for this team, despite the fact that the pieces don't really fit all that well in Minnesota. But the reason is this. First of all, from a health standpoint, things actually went relatively well. So we kind of need that to continue this coming season. But from a personnel standpoint, that's your good news note on Minnesota, number one. Personnel-wise, Anthony Edwards is back. Jaden McDaniels, back. Rudy Gobert, whether you like it or not, he's back. Cat, back. Nas Reed, back. All-Star break acquisition, Mike Conley, back. I know I'm forgetting somebody of incredible relevance. Uh, Slow-mo. That's the one. Uh, Slow-mo's back. He's got one more year on his deal. They picked up Shake Milton on a relatively affordable contract. Nikhil Alexander-Walker's back. Troy Brown Jr. they picked up on an affordable contract. And yeah, they lost Torian Prince in, in all of this mess, but... The guys that played the big minutes, thats the those are the ones that you're generally looking at in something like this. And so the big minute guys, Ant-Man, Rudy, Conley, Cat. Did I say Jaden? Slow-mo. Those are all the guys that played, well, 28 minutes or more. They're all back. Continuity is a good thing. 
the Wolves did not have continuity this last offseason, and I probably should have just gone with the continuity play, which would be to say, no, they go under, because Rudy Gobert is a... like a big back wheel on a, on the, the old-timey unicycles. You know, the one that had the little training wheel out front? <laughs> It's hard to it's hard to fit those pieces together. Well, they've had a year now to do it. But maybe the most important part of this Minnesota discussion, or maybe not the most important, but the one that I think should give you the most confidence if you're going to look at an over, is that you could basically argue that Minnesota looked about as disjointed and wacky as they possibly could this last season, and they still won 42 ball games. That almost felt like a worst-case scenario. Other than the health being relatively good. But, like, the pieces just didn't fit at all. They were unbelievably inconsistent. They had super hot stretches. They had super cold stretches. The team had infighting that we saw come out towards the end of the season. And they still went 42-40. and 40. Two. Very, just two. Just two wins away from where they would need to get to hit the over on this number. You don't think that this team playing even the tiniest bit better would get them there? Or, let's make it easy. Let's say Cat doesn't only play 30 games this coming year, and a good chunk of those coming back from a massive injury where he wasn't really Cat. Like they, they weren't necessarily better with him on the floor at the end of the year because he wasn't necessarily better. And I know he's been injured on and off more lately so there's no guarantee that he's going to magically just get back up to 70 games played but it sure feels more likely that he clears 65 than stays below 35 again give cat another 25 30 ball games they win 44 games this year and honestly even if he doesn't play an extra 30 games i th- i think simply flipping d'angelo russell for mike conley was a crucial move for a team without a true leader on it, at least, and I don't want to take anything away from Anthony Edwards because he's grown into that role a little bit more, but he's still young and he's still a bit inconsistent and he's not a, he's not a boat captain the way that Mike Conley is at this stage of his career. We saw what Conley did for the Utah Jazz who were an above 500 team with him and like 10 games under without him. And he does the same stuff for Minnesota. And the funny thing, too, is like to say, oh, well, they lost D'Angelo Russell in that, in that, uh, at the trade deadline. If you put D'Lo and Conley head-to-head on a basketball court right now, D'Lo would probably cook him. I don't know that that's the case, but I think he would probably win a one-on-one game. But from a what-the-team-needs standpoint, Minnesota badly needs a Mike Conley in a way that they didn't badly need a D'Angelo Russell. You know, a heater, shooter, score-first point guard in D'Lo, who can do a lot of stuff on the floor. He'll get you some points, but not as good defensively, mostly on the defensive IQ side of things. He has the physical tools to be there, but D'Lo just doesn't really get all the pieces on defense. But he's a team that he's a guy that can carry you a bit offensively when that's not going well. Timberwolves at full strength don't really need that as much. They got Anthony Edwards to go do that stuff. They got Cat to go do that stuff. You could argue the same thing about the Lakers, but I don't think that's true because the Lakers have LeBron, who, yes, scores a ton, but he ultimately is a passing player. Wolves needed someone on this team 
who thought pass before swing, and now they have it. So I like Minnesota to go over the mark this coming year. I am ill-deterred, not deterred by getting my food handed to me last year by the Wolves uh, not being as good as they hopefully should have been, but I think they're in, in business this coming season. Ladies and gentlemen, today's show is brought to you by our pals at calderalab.com. Get 20% off with our code ETHOS at calderalab.com to unlock your youthful glow and be ready for summer with Caldera plus Lab. You can also go to calderalab.com slash ethos. I believe that works as well. Friends, we've talked a lot about first impressions on the show, but today I want to remind you guys that it is hot as Hades in a lot of part of the this fine nation. And if you're going to look your best, Caldera Lab has created high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup. Twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Funny thing about Caldera Lab is that I think for a lot of us, I am a male adult. We don't really think about our skincare. Skincare world has is, is been heavily female-driven for uh, ever. And it's kind of been the Wild West for dudes. There's not really a product for us. I know a lot of men use skincare product, but they usually just steal it from their wives or significant others or something like that. But look, now it's never been easier. You finally have a solution. Caldera Lab and the Regimen. Inside the bundle, the Regimen bundle, you got the clean slate, you got the base layer, you got the good, and you got the icon. That one's my favorite. It addresses the three most common skin concerns around the eye. Fine lines, dark circles, oof, and puffiness. And when you're as tired as I am, you really need those last two. It's top-tier ingredients, and it's a great addition to your daily routine. Take care of your damn face with less than a minute at morning and night. Reduce your wrinkles, your fine lines, your signs of aging, your puffiness, your dark circles. Get it together. Men's skincare at calderalab.com. Use promo code ETHOS to get 20% off. Or go to calderalab.com slash ethos. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with our pals at Caldera Lab. Portland is not on the board as they continue to consider this Dame trade stuff. They're probably an underplay once that number gets posted uh, because the West is incredibly difficult. The young guys will play over their heads. They'll probably win like five of their first eight games. I don't know what their schedule is going to look like, but they'll probably win like five of their first eight. And people are like, oh, look, they're fine. And uh, then they're not going to end up fine at the end of all of that. So anyway, we'll get back around to Portland when the uh, when the time is right. The Utah Jazz are the next name on the board. They're at 35 and a half. And this was another team where I was bamboozled last year. I thought that they were going into a tank, but they simply had too many decent players and too much Mike Conley. I know, I know. You can be like, Dan, stop it. They had Larry Markinen, who had a career year. They had uh, Jared Vanderbilt, who was playing well at the beginning of the season, and then Walker Kessler came on, and he was excellent as the year moved forward. They got scoring out of Jordan Clarkson throughout the season. Uh, Kelly Olynyk was a nice stabilizing presence in the middle. 
Colin Sexton was hurt most of the year, so you can't really look at him. Well, then they blew it up. (laughs) After the Jazz blew it up, they were a pretty bad basketball team. And I would argue that most of that was Mike Conley. Because I, last night, and I couldn't figure out the easiest way to, to, to run the numbers on this, so I just went through and I counted it. Conley was on the Jazz for 43 games this year. He missed about a month or so early in the season with an injury, and then they traded him at the All-Star break. So he was there for about three months of the first four, and then not for the final two. While Conley was on the Jazz and active, they were a game over 500. When he was either inactive or traded, they were nine games under. Some of that came down the stretch when other guys were getting rested as well. But to me, a lot of that was Mike Conley. If this Jazz team is now the one that's going 15-24 and without Mike Conley, if you extrapolate that to a full season, that's basically like a 31-win Jazz team. And their number this year is higher than that. It's a 35 and a half. I think heavily because this past season they won 37 ballgames, but they got worse. I think substantially worse, actually. Not only did they trade a lot of their guys at the trade deadline, but now they're kind of leaning into the more traditional tank where they'll have they have picks beyond picks beyond picks. They're going to get younger and younger and younger. I don't 100% understand Jordan Clarkson's extension, but you're going to see young guys. Now, they picked up John Collins in a trade. That's one thing that gives me a little bit of pause on this. That's the, okay, we're bringing in not the youngest dude on earth, so maybe we're not going to be a total bleep show all season long. I just, I don't see how this team takes clubs by surprise. And more than anything, I don't see how this club runs the offense. I'm giving way too much credit to Mike Conley. I'm fully aware of that. But who is the guy that sets things up for this team? Is it Chris Dunn? Are they going young? It's not Colin Sexton. He's score first. It's not Jordan Clarkson. He's very much score first. There's going to have to be a lot of ball movement. You go, Okay, well, teams don't need... You could say this to me. That's a reasonable point to say teams don't need a traditional point guard. Yeah, we've had this discussion on the show in the last couple of episodes. The Jazz kind of do. How is each guy going to know when it's the right time for them to be the dude going forward? Because, look, Jordan Clarkson, you know, perfectly reasonable scorer, assisted turnover ratio of one and a half to one. Not good enough. Kelly Olynyk, one and a half to one if you're running it out of a big man spot. Chris Dunn was the guy who was more like three or four to one. But is that the guy that they want to, I don't even know, did did they sign him for additional year? I don't even remember. It almost doesn't matter because he's not a floor spacing threat the way Conley was. Mike was so good for that young team, and they don't have that right now. So, yeah, they've got talent. Marketing's talented. John Collins' talented. Walker Kessler's talented. Clarkson can score. Colin Sexton can score. They'll beat a few teams just by running them into the ground. But, I mean, if you grind this team into a half court, they don't have the same pieces that they did last year to wear you out, especially stretching the floor. Clarkson and Markinen, those are the guys that are going to pull you away from the bucket a little bit this season. The rest of the team, not so much. So I think Utah goes under. Um, I think this is the year where, even if you argue that they're trying, 
you'll probably see them pull the plug at some point late, so that'll cap the number of wins. And the fact that they only, in this past season, where they really did try until like the final two and a half, three weeks, this last year, uh, what did they get to, 37 wins? That's one and a half wins over what they would need to do this coming season. You do that in the first... I mean, I don't think they're going 22 and 21 the first 43 games this coming year. Not in a West, to me, where basically everybody's getting better besides Portland. There's like one team in the West that's getting worse, or markedly. I mean, you could argue maybe Denver gets worse without Bruce Brown, but like Memphis will be fine with or without Jaw the first 25 games. Sacramento will be fine. Phoenix is star-studded. Clippers have their guys. Warriors, I think, will be just as good, if not better. Probably a little bit better. Again, that'll come down to the Steph Curry injury stuff. Lakers will be better. Wolves will be better, I think. Pels, if they have their health, they'll be better. Dallas will be better. Houston's better. Spurs are better. West is going to be a gauntlet. Utah did not get better. Maybe they got better this offseason by adding John Collins, but year over year they didn't, in my eyes. So I'll go under with the Jazz, back to the well again, and we'll see if I end up, you know, eating my hat a second year in a row. I just, I don't know. And the last one in the Northwest, the Oklahoma City Thunder. And to me, this was the hardest one to handicap in this in this uh, division. And the Blazers might end up as the hardest one to handicap in this division, but... Uh, We'll get there when we get there. The Thunder number is 43 and a half. And honestly, it's a pretty good number. But here's the issue with Oklahoma City. They won 40 games this last year, going basically all out from day one. They did not tank. Not really for even one day. Yes, they gave Shea a game off here and there, but his injuries this past season were legitimate. He played 69 out of 82 games. It's probably a number that they'll be getting him up around again. Outside of Shea, the other critical pieces for this team were all there. Jalen Williams, 76. Josh Giddy 77. Lou Dort, 75. The big minutes guys, they played. They get one guy back this offseason and a number of other names in the draft. So, yes, they should be better year over year, with Chet Holmgren, former top pick, coming back. So they'll get a lot better on the interior. Although, to some degree, he is going to change, and I don't want this to come off like I'm saying Chet Holmgren is going to make the Thunder worse. I think he does actually make them better overall. But it does change a little bit about what they do, which was spread it out. I mean, really spread it out. And let Shea operate because he wasn't really uh, a spread-it-out kind of guy. They were a tenacious steals team this past year. Tons of steals. Shea averaged 1.7. Jalen Williams was at, like, almost 2 when he was a starter. Lou Dort averages a steal. They picked up a ton of steals. And they were just running, forcing turnovers and running. Now, some of that they can continue. Holmgren, they're going to hope, gets blocks, and he will, and they'll get out and run off of those, so that'll create a lot of that as well. But in my eyes, the reason that I'm kind of fading what I think is kind of a consensus 
over on this team and leaning towards the under is that it's really hard in the NBA to take big steps forward two years in a row. Because the first year is oftentimes what I refer to as the surprise year. Nobody saw the Thunder coming this season. Nobody. Came out of nowhere. Many of us, myself included, were horn-swoggled. See, I didn't use bamboozled again. By a team that had been unabashedly tanking for years. And then on the year where Victor Wembanyama was going to be hanging out on draft day, they didn't tank? That was an extremely screwy decision that caught me with my pants down. I'll admit, I figured that anybody this past season that had a chance to tank was going to tank. So uh, seeing Indiana and OKC in particular choose not to, well, their guards were just too damn good, I guess, for them not, for, for them to actually tank. But that really surprised me. Because even if you're not in the bottom three, you still have some chance to get that top pick. Now, ultimately, it did go to San Antonio, but if you have like a bottom four record, bottom five record, you got an okay shot to end up with Victor Wembanyama. I thought for sure the Thunder would take that chance. And if they miss, so be it. Now they're still young. They'd have a lot of plays. They could kick it up this year. Well, they kicked it up last year. And they were good. They won 40 games this last season. Surprised the hell out of everybody. Had a positive scoring differential despite being two games under 500 on the year. Like, they were arguably even better than their record would indicate. But getting to that next rung, in my mind, is going to be really, really hard. It's, I mean, look at all the teams that were bunched up in that group. I would argue that Dallas, OKC, New Orleans, Minnesota, the Lakers, the Warriors, and the Clippers were all, and I know that Phoenix was only a game up on the Clippers, but, eh, like, they were out in front for most of the way through. It was like 5 through 11 this year that were all kind of the same team. It's really hard to get out of that pack to get up to the 45-ish win threshold. Now, OKC only needs 44, so they weren't that far away. But I think this year teams are going to be a little bit better prepared to deal with what OKC is going to throw at them. Uh, You're not going to have that big surprise factor. You're going to have a good ball club, but I also see them getting pretty close to where they were this past season. So 40 wins becomes maybe 42, 43. This may be one of the most accurate numbers on the board. You guys can try to hold me to that at the end of the year. Let's see see if this gets even close. If OKC lands at 43 wins and we hit on the under, then uh, we'll be talking to you guys about how we called it. And then if they win like 49 games, like a lot of people are saying, then I'll, again, I'll lean back and go, all right, well, missed it. I just, I don't, I, I know I'm on my own with this one. I know everybody else has OKC going over, but I think they took their leap this past season, and I think you're going to see a little bit of a leveling off where teams are going to take them more seriously. You're going to see, and plus, again, this this sort of elevated West, which I realize is dumb when I talked about some of the teams at the top picking up a few extra wins, but... That, that hyper elite, that, that really good chunk of teams is to me just one echelon up 
But this is why we play the game. We'll figure it out. Figure it out when we get there. So yeah, I like the under. Oh well. I know, I know. You guys are going to be kicking me all season long on this one, but we'll see how it goes. All right, that's your show today. What the hell is today? Wednesday? Wednesday, July the 19th. Cool, we're just humming along here. We'll continue our tour. Tour de Ligue. It's a tour de force of the Tour de Ligue. Uh, with the Southwest Division, I'm hoping again that we can talk to uh, Keith Cork, our director of content here at Sports Ethos, and Mike Fiddle, who just from a... a his, that dude's brain is crazy. If you want to follow somebody in the gambling space, Fiddle's Picks, that's where he's at over on Twitter. Ethos Keith. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. I'm hoping it's going to be tomorrow because I know that uh, those guys have some thoughts on the Southwest Division, which I think maybe overall might be the toughest division to handicap this year. But again, we'll get into that on tomorrow's show. That'll be Thursday's episode. I am once again Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter, at Dan Vespers on threads, at Dan Vespers here in real life. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. Go check out sportsethos.com for all of your ethosing needs. And check out youtube.com slash sportsethos, where we've got really cool free NFL content dropping almost daily over there. We've got uh, Fantasy NFL Today got rebooted by Mike and Ryan. We got First Down Dynasty, a Dynasty NFL pod. That's uh, that's on traditional channels, not YouTube, but uh, a lot of really cool stuff on the NFL side. And then the Fantasy Pass, the all-sport Fantasy Pass, on sale now for $7 a month. If you sign up now, don't turn it off. You can keep that price for life, and it's going up to 10 very, very soon. Have a great day, everybody. Back at you tomorrow. So long for now.